0: Welcome to the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Join me for conversations about how to advocate for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Hello, everyone. Kaylin Egan is joining us today. Kaylin founded, grew, and sold a software company all before his 35th birthday, and while entrepreneurship is natural for him, the educational environment was a real struggle. Kalen, thank you so much for coming on today.
1: Thanks, Emily. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: I'm really glad you're here to tell your story because I think a lot of people can identify with your experience firsthand, or there's moms and dads out there that have kids that are a lot like you. And- Frankly, they're probably just wondering is is my child going to be okay? Is this all going to work out in the end? So let's just dive right into this whole topic of misfit. You've heard me talk a lot about the word misfit and you know how much I believe we should celebrate our uniqueness. So how do you identify with the term misfit?
1: I think identifying as a misfit for me is not taking life too seriously and learning as you go, making mistakes, that to me I think encompasses what may be considered uh, more of a misfit.
0: Yeah, and I've known you for I think a couple of years now and you forge your own path in life. You certainly do not do the quote-unquote expected or traditional way. And to me that's what not only would probably put you in the misfit category, but is critical to your success in life and you finding your own personal fulfillment.
1: Yeah, I think something that I realized as I was growing Excel School was that, you know, part of the reason why I feel I fit into the entrepreneurial camp is because I feel like I have a problem with control. And for the most part, I feel like I am unwilling to allow conditions or others to control what I do. And I think in school and in careers, that can be challenging in more of the normal environments. And I think that's where the misfits end up thriving because they're kind of unwilling to be controlled by anything around them, circumstances, conditions, and. At least for me, to some extent, I always felt like I would rather have control over everything around me rather than it having control of me. And when control was forced on me, like school, right? When I had to sit in a classroom and listen to a teacher in, in front of the room, at the time, I'm not sure I really had some of these critical thoughts, but I know fundamentally, I was thinking to myself, why is this what I have to do? Right? Why do I have to sit here and listen to this and learn in this way? Right? It doesn't really fit for me. I want to do something else. You know, there's an aspect of freedom in there. I wanted to do things my own way. I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do at the time.
0: Yeah, you call (laughs) the shots, which I think is why entrepreneurship has worked so well for you. And it makes me think of as you're talking, my dad, who's wired very similarly to you and is a serial entrepreneur, has started multiple businesses and I think just started a new one recently. <laughs> he calls himself certified unemployable.
1: <laughs> yeah, I consider myself probably similar.
0: Yeah, and and it's, it's just to speak to the fact of what you've talked about, which is he needs that freedom. He needs that space to take risk, to try things out,
1: you hit on a major topic. Risk. 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 Emily.
0: And the corporate world is often more risk mitigative. Risk averse. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And that, that is a problem for me. I, I struggle there because taking risk comes natural to me. It's second nature to me. I want to take risks and I'm comfortable with risks. And yeah, super challenging in the corporate world. That's for sure. Because, you know, I know what I know when I have an idea, there's nothing stopping that idea from succeeding and it's, it's good and bad. I feel like this has been with me my whole life. I'll have a thousand ideas and trying to figure out and refine those ideas and where I wanna go with them. I feel like that, my mind's doing that all the time and then settling on, here's the, here's the direction I wanna go. I wanna execute on this, on this idea And nothing stops you from doing that. And I don't know, to me, that's risky when you take that route.
0: Sure. But you need to do that. It's not even a preference for you or a want. It's a need. That's how you innately operate. And as we see with adults and kids alike, if that energy that you have to take risk and try new things and seek out variety and take on big challenges... If that's not channeled in a positive place, it's still going to come out. It's just probably going to come out in a negative place. And that's what we see a lot with kids like you who are still in a lot of those more controlled environments where they don't have this positive space for that like you do now with entrepreneurship. And so those kids feel controlled in every way. And so that energy to take risk often comes out in bad ways, right? The kind of behavior that we don't want to see. And so I, th- I think that's also why so many of the children that are wired like you and school is just rough. I mean, it is a battle with uh-huh. the teachers, with their parents. And then when they break free, I would say, and can be an entrepreneur, go get in those risk-based startup environments, it all clicks for them. I mean, can you identify with that moment of wow, suddenly I can be me. I'm not fighting against myself every single day.
1: (laughs) Oh, I honestly, Emily, I was thinking a bunch of different things as you're talking about this. You know, one is how do we create environments nowadays to encourage this type of, you know, personalized I don't know. I don't want to be cliche when I talk about personalized learning, right? But one of the things that you were talking about was encouraging kind of individualized, personalized teaching and learning, encouraging each child's own methods of learning and, and recognizing that. And to be honest, I don't know if there was a point in my life when I really felt like, oh, I can be me. I can operate the way that I want to operate. I, I don't know if there's really ever been a point. I don't know if I'll I'll ever reach that point because I don't even fully understand what works really well for me and and what doesn't. You know, I don't know if I'm explaining that right, but I still struggle trying to figure out exactly where and how I fit in, you know, to the misfit thing, right? I mean, I, I felt like when I was in school, I didn't really fit in. I felt like when I was in the corporate environment and now and even in the entrepreneurial landscape that I I didn't necessarily fit in. So I don't know. I I feel like I've always got that in my head. I don't know if there's a point when I reached that. But I will tell you this, it drives me. You know, like even when I was in school and felt like where do I fit in? Kind of questioning some of those things. It still drove me in whatever direction I wanted to go and you know still does still does now
0: you're you're taking on the adversity and allowing it to fuel you in a positive direction and as you've commented to me several times you're a forward thinker you're living in the future for you it's real it's already attained those big challenges those big risks that everybody else see for you the path is clear
1: yeah
0: and it's actually probably more challenging for you to just Bring everybody else up to speed, right? Than to capture that future state. So that's where I see a lot of that frustration or conflict happen around entrepreneurial minded individuals because it feels like they're light years ahead of everyone. And I don't mean in a belittling or intellectual sense, but it's just, it's right there. Can't you see it? You can touch it, right? And everybody else is saying, it's not there for me. Can you? identify with that frustration?
1: Uh, You know, I can. Yes. I don't know how else to operate. And I'm wondering what my wife would think about this area of the conversation. Because yeah, I feel like I can always see exactly where I'm going. But boy, communicating that can be really, really difficult. But yeah, you know, one of the reasons why I I like talking to you is because I, I like to try to figure out how does all of this stuff apply to our kids? You know what I mean? Like people listening to this podcast, and I think about this too, I don't know if I'm uh, just an odd guest for thinking this way, but I, I think, who wants to listen to me? <laughs> you know what, what do I know, right? But like one of the things that I feel you and I are great at is we can have a conversation about learning more about how entrepreneurs operate and how adults operate and apply that to what we think can be applied to, you know, our own kids or, you know, children now and and to help them.
0: Spot on. No, Caitlin, here's why you are a perfect guest, because as we've talked about, these traits, these problem-solving methods that you have, have always been true of you. Unlike your personality and intelligence, you were born with an entrepreneurial mind. And Why it's so important to hear your story is that I mean, I have a seven year old who is wired a lot like you, but he can't articulate these things in the same way as you. He hasn't experienced school and experienced the outside world. And I'm so grateful that as a mom, I have all of this insight because of what I do professionally. But there's a lot of parents out there that have a five year old who is taking big risks and is. You know, getting into some of these challenges in school and they really don't know how to interpret what's going on. And, like I started the podcast saying, they just want to know that their child's going to be okay because they might not be a fit for the environment that they're in right now. But you're really, to me, hope that there is so much potential in every single child. And even if the measures, we gauge people by the first 20 some years of our lives aren't showing you know, off the charts. Look at how much Caitlin Egan has accomplished.
1: Well, here's the problem. See, here's what I see here, right? So I'm trying to think about this from even in my own perspective, right? If I was experiencing what my parents were experiencing when I was in school with my own kids, I wouldn't believe you, Emily. I would not believe you that my kids are going to be okay. And here's the reason why. So a little bit of background. I barely graduated high school and I went straight into the workforce. I worked for the school district that I eventually graduated from. We'll probably get back to that. But I barely graduated when I, my senior year of high school, I think I only went to school about eighty days, something like that. Whoa! I, I don't think I've ever told you that, but well, now everybody knows. But here, here's, <laughs> so here's, <the> <laughs> exposed, right. here's here's the thing. You're
0: exposed, Caleb. Right?
1: Here's the thing. There's no way, no way. My parents divorced when I was young, so I had a single mom. Single mom, super busy. You know, I have two siblings. She's thinking about them too. She's going to work. She's looking at this situation. And it was a different time back then, but she's looking at this situation, I'm sure. And there's no way she's looking at an entrepreneur in his mid 30s saying, "Well, thank goodness my son's going to be okay because you know this this guy on the podcast I'm listening to <laughs> <is> telling, me, <laughs> is telling me that it's okay to be a misfit, right?" But the thing is, that's what I want to try to figure out. No doubt, I had challenges in high school. How do you? try to identify why I had some of those challenges and then try to apply that to your own kids. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I still try to figure that out, to be honest. Why wasn't I interested in school? I don't know.
0: Well, we know 80% of kids are, by a little or a lot, basically a misfit for how school teaches because school only teaches to 20% of how certain students learn and we know that you fall in that 80%. So constantly every day going into an environment that is really not made for you or suits you and doesn't honor how you naturally learn. That's exhausting. Yes. And we see kids, you know, it's a it's a natural defense mechanism where our brains just start shutting down.
1: That's right. That's exactly right
0: you stop caring. And so an engaged learner becomes a disengaged learner, and it has nothing to do with intellect. It's learning style. So you are right when you said earlier, I'm a big advocate for allowing every child to participate fully in the learning environment. And that means giving each child space to problem solve in their own way. And I'm not saying we have to have, you know, if there's 30 kids in the class, 30 lesson plans by any means. But we need more than one right way. But a lot of it is, I think, so much because the way you learn was not the way you were allowed to learn. And not surprisingly, you said, "Hmm, I'm not going to put all of my efforts into this.
1: There was so much packed into what you just said. And the only place that my brain goes is, so how do we fix this, right? Like, I'm not saying education is totally broken, but, you know, we've got so many kids that learn in so many different ways. How do you try to teach to all that? We can't realistically be that in education, right?
0: Well, I beg to differ. I think that... of the battle is awareness.
1: Yes, agreed.
0: Most of us, sadly, for much of our lives, are never taught about how we naturally problem solve. We talk a lot about personality traits. We obviously talk a lot about skills because that's what school's about. But we need to have an awareness as early on as possible in our lives about how we naturally move through the world, how we naturally contribute. I love the saying, all progress starts with telling the truth. So let's tell ourselves the truth about who we are and how we're individually wired. Secondly, we need to provide options. There's a lot of different ways to express your understanding of something. So maybe instead of always writing papers or always doing written exams, Maybe you can do a presentation on it, or maybe you can build something that shows your understanding of the concept. If we were creating a less stressful environment for every single student, learning would be better for everyone across the board. So I want to go to college for you because you chose not to go to college, and in the The world we're in right now, college and higher education, is being totally disrupted. I know a lot of people are rethinking college and the value of college. We don't even know what college is going to look like. Do you regret not going to college?
1: Mm, What a deep question, Emily.
0: That's a big one. I know.
1: (laughs) What a loaded question. No, I don't regret not going to college because... Where I am today is a result of the decisions that I made previously. I guess think about it from the perspective of where my mind would have been as a high schooler, as a senior. I just barely graduated from high school, barely graduated from high school, and I'm still in that same mindset. I didn't have some epiphany that said, "No, wake up! You've got to, you've got to go this direction. You've got to go the same direction that you know most of the rest of the society does." I was in a different mindset. I didn't feel like what was being taught to me, the academics that I was learning in the classroom were as valuable as the life lessons that I was getting alternatively. So at the time, what I felt was most fulfilling to me was working in the space that was interesting. And I worked in the technology department in the school district, and it allowed me to be creative, to build things, to solve problems. That was a big one. That's, that's a, still a big one today. You know, I like to solve problems. And when you're at, at this time, this was early 2000s, computers were still not necessarily ubiquitous, and they still had a lot of problems. So when a computer failed, that was a problem for me. That was a problem that I could solve. That was interesting to me. That's what I wanted to do at the time. And I didn't think about where I wanted to go. Eventually, I was just living kind of in the moment, whatever interested me was the direction that I wanted to go. So at the time, college wasn't really appealing to me. And I didn't have any figures in my life that were pushing me in any particular direction. I think that's another important thing too, right? I would consider my dad to be entrepreneurially minded. My mom was a single mom working a full-time job. They didn't necessarily push me one direction or the other. I think I operate that way with my kids autonomously. And I kind of let them operate however they're going to operate. I, I didn't have anyone pushing me one particular direction. So it was kind of whatever direction suited me at the time. And college just didn't seem as appealing. Now, you said, do I regret not going to college? I don't regret it because of where I'm at and because of where it led me. But I think about college all the time. Hmm. And the reason why is because I love learning. I didn't Mm. love learning when I was in high school, but I absolutely love learning.
0: So (laughs) you mentioned your kids. You have a daughter and a son, and you've talked about how they are definitely wired differently.
1: They're wired completely differently from each other.
0: And your son, Ryland, operates a lot like you, which could be good and bad. I think when we share methods with our kids that helps when we're mentoring them and sharing best practices but it can also lead to budding heads.
1: Yes, all the time.
0: How are you taking all of your own life experiences and using that as you parent your kids?
1: I think I do what comes naturally to me. You know, you say this all the time, right? What is what what's my, you know, natural MO? And my M.O. is that autonomy, right? I had a pretty autonomous childhood, and so I definitely default to that method of parenting. And actually, I was going to ask you, my wife is totally opposite from me, (laughs) you know? And the interesting part is now you can have two different parenting styles. And trying to balance both of those parenting styles with your children is equally difficult.
0: It is difficult. And I can speak from experience as well, because my husband operates differently than me in a lot of ways. And what I would say is you can be aligned on values, right? You have certain values in your home, things that you all aspire to or promote. And that's an important place to unify right? Maybe it's your faith or beliefs or principles or just a way of interacting with your world and your community. In that way, as a husband and a wife or whatever your family structure is, that's really important to come together on those things and message around those in a unified way to your kids. But when it comes to how you live out those principles how you individually get to results that's where autonomy is a good thing and i don't think this means like everything goes autonomy it doesn't mean there are no boundaries or no rules or no expectations and i know you're not saying that either but i think it's important to be clear on that that there are absolutely rules and expectations but we're not dictating every step of how you get there and giving kids the freedom and space to exercise that muscle of, okay, how do I do it when I call the shots It's really important to help them do that safely and within a loving home, a loving environment. And then when they are on their own or are at school, they have those experiences, they have those words, they have that confidence in how they do things and can better advocate for themselves in those environments. Again, the whole point of Mothers of Misfits, we're not trying to all be lockstep in this one right way because it doesn't exist. So how can we come together on these shared values and then promote those in our own ways? Does that make sense?
1: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I took a couple of things away from what you were saying. One is shared values. I think every family probably has unwritten shared values, but it'd be interesting to explore actually putting those values down. Right, operating a little bit more like a company. And I will yeah. also say, by default, that is how my brain operates. Like everything is everything is a business, everything's a company to me. And it's interesting. I took that away from what you were saying. There's probably unwritten values that exist within a family unit but not often something that is like, here are our values. You know, here are the things that we want to make sure that we center ourselves on. You know, everything else is, I wanted to say negotiable, right? But for lack of a better term, right? I mean, as long as you're centering on values and that your family understands and agrees on those values, oh, that's a pretty interesting way to grow and to learn. And then the other thing I took away was confidence. I certainly believe that confidence is a major aspect of positive growth. You know, having confidence in your decisions and your direction is really important.
0: Absolutely. At all ages and stages of life, confidence is king. And on that note, you've talked about feelings of imposter syndrome. How does that creep into your mindset?
1: I think when anything is new for me, that imposter syndrome starts to set in. I don't know if it ties back to that feeling that I have to know everything about a subject, that I have to know everything on a topic before I can speak to it. When I started at Excel School, I didn't have imposter syndrome then, right? When I was starting the company, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, exactly where I wanted to go, but I was still operating day to day saying, you know, here's what I, I enjoy doing this, right? I enjoy Growing this and solving this problem. I can see that there's a market. I can see that there's a need and I'm going to continue doing everything I can to fulfill that. So confidence wasn't an issue there, even though it was new, which is interesting. So what wasn't new when I was starting the company was actually building the software, right? Having the conversations, convincing people this is what they needed. That was actually relatively easy. But once the company started to grow to a point where we have employees, we have processes, we have a PL. and <laughs> l We have things that are more complicated. You know, I think that's when that imposter syndrome starts to creep in.
0: Is it possible that the imposter syndrome is really just your internal warning system that you're drifting outside of your sweet spot?
1: Yeah, possibly. I don't know. But I don't know what that sweet spot is.
0: Oh, I think you do. I think you do. (laughs) You just described it. Did I? When you said, when I had a vision, when I was solving a problem, when I was starting a company, I knew exactly what I was doing and I was confident in it. Yeah. As you're describing it, it's when you get outside of your lane, so to speak, and you're satisfying outside expectations or unrealistic self-expectations. That's when it sounds like you're getting that imposter syndrome moment. And I see, I think our, our brains, our bodies are just incredibly sophisticated. And I think there's something to be said that that's a warning signal and a good one. That maybe you need to get back to that place where you have total confidence.
1: That's a good point. So I'm thinking about how do I apply that here and how do others apply that kind of guidance. Because thinking about where I feel most comfortable, you're right, where I feel most comfortable is innovating, you know, thinking of new ideas that solve problems, iterating quickly, getting to a point where it's solving a problem quickly. But when do I reach a point where I'm kind of out of my comfort zone? I don't know. And what does that mean for who I am? and what direction I need to go. I'm also trying to apply this to like kids, right? To me back in high school, to me back when I was much younger, I'm probably still operating the same way now as I did then, maybe just a little wiser.
0: Here's what it boils down to in my mind, trust your gut. When we go against our gut, we usually lose. Right. When you think back to all those times where you had that really tough decision and your gut was telling you one thing and you talked yourself in a different direction, when we think back on those times, often we think, dang, I should have gone with my gut. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I would say. Trust your gut because it's often telling you really the direction you should go. And it's important to get wise counsel and certainly consider things. But there's a lot to be said for that gut. Okay, Kaylin, last question. And since you brought it up a lot, we really want to make sure we apply this to our lives as as parents in particular. So what do you want parents to know who have a Kalen as a son or daughter? Maybe their kids are struggling to make it through high school. Maybe they're showing that entrepreneurial spirit. Maybe they're saying, "Eh, I don't think college is for me. I want to just dive into the real world experiences." What advice do you have for those parents?
1: My gut tells me that I want to respond with let them make mistakes. The the first thing that came to mind when you said that was something that I feel like I do as a parent and it's I let them make mistakes, right? Now, obviously from a safety perspective there's a lot of stuff i'll prevent but i like to give both of my children as much as i can i'd like to give them autonomy i like to give them freedom to make some of their own decisions i like to help with whatever guidance i can help with whatever wisdom i can add to some of those decisions and they're really young i mean my daughter's eight my son's five They're still figuring out a lot of stuff, but I have a feeling that as they grow, I will probably operate with some of the same foundational principles, which is, it's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from them. I tell them that all the time. It's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from them. And what may be a mistake in the moment, when you look back on it, may not necessarily be one, right? I mean, it could have been viewed as a mistake for me not to go to college. Uh, And I'm not advocating for that. But as I look back on it, you know, given where I am in my life today, it was the right decision. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's probably some of the best advice that I could give uh, for what it's worth. I think encouraging critical thinking, encouraging a deeper understanding and a deeper learning of every topic that they're interested in and that it's okay to make mistakes. I
0: think that's a great way to end, which is it's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from them. Kaylin, thank you so much again for coming on Mothers of Misfits. I'm so glad you were able to share your story with all of us. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also invite you to visit us at mothersofmisfits.com.